0: to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold and I've got a wonderful hour planned. Thank you for uh, joining me last hour and Pastor David Miles. That was an outstanding time with he and Rosie B. And Patrick got my day started on a little bit of a lighter note, which I always appreciate. Now we're going to talk about you on purpose and how important it is to have a purpose and to know your purpose. And I'm going to do that today. With Bill Denzel, he co-authored the book called You on Purpose. He's a senior fellow at the Barna Group. And I love this line. He says, your calling isn't revealed in one flash of insight. It unfolds as you take repeated steps in the right direction. That is some good wisdom. And and he's here to join me right now. Bill, welcome.
1: Thank you, Bill. Good to be here.
0: Yeah. I love uh, the book because you are telling people and giving them some good guidelines as to how to uh, take those next repeated steps in the right direction.
1: That's right. Yeah, we really believe that. And that's what we found in the research as we were studying this topic, that it's really those small actions and an obedience to our caller that lead to the larger purpose of our lives.
0: Yeah. You know, Bill, everybody, it doesn't matter their age or where they are or their walk in life. They always want to know, what does God have next for me? What am I supposed to be doing? What is my purpose? So this book is kind of a good field guide to help people discover their vocation or their next uh, phase of life. So maybe you could talk to us about, you know, the great need that you see for this book in today's world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all want to know where, why we're here and what we should do with our lives, right? It's kind of a perennial question, and I don't think it's particularly new are unique about today. The thing about today though, is we just have more time to think about it and more options to actually choose our work and define our lives. And I think that's a fairly recent phenomenon, right? I mean, before we would have to do what our parents did or family business or whatever it was, you know, blacksmith or whatever. You didn't have a lot of options. Now, most kids are told you can be anything you want to be, which, you know, if we really examine that is not true. We're limited by the context and uh, by our times and by the people and place that we find ourselves in. And those limitations aren't necessarily a bad thing. They're, fo- they're a focusing thing. And that's what um, that's what we think this book will help people walk through. Because when you're told you, every door is open, what happens is that leads to overwhelm, which leads to paralysis. Because when every door is open, which one do you go through? And that's what the need for this book is today. People need a process to help narrow things down and identify which path to take and which are the doors to walk through. We need confidence, really, to take that next step.
0: Mm-hmm. Bill, I don't think tons of young people listen to my show, but I, I do know that parents and grandparents would love to hear the answer to this because there seems like a lot of young people, they want to kind of rush through life and they want their calling to be clear quickly. And so, why does purpose take so much time for us to realize it?
1: Well, it's um, we all want clarity, right? We want it now. We want it, but um, really, the, the way we think about it is that we don't need clarity. What we need is is courage, because it takes courage to take that small step, like we were talking about before, to step forward without knowing exactly where we where we're going to end up. We want to move quickly towards the end but really an interesting life is made up of attempts to get from point A to point B, but not in a straight line. I mean, all the wrinkles and curves that an interesting life takes, you know, I think about it. It's the same with, with the idea of writing stories. If, um, I think I'd like to think about it in terms of like the Lord of the rings, uh, if Frodo would have just had to walk across his hobbit hole and throw that ring in the trash can, it wouldn't have been much of a story, but instead he had to find his, his uh, companions and travel, you know, through Mordor to throw the ring into the fires of Mount Doom. Right. So that's like a great story because of all the obstacles he encountered. So it really does take a lifetime to understand that calling um, because we're going to encounter all kinds of obstacles and looking back is the only way, you know, Kierkegaard had a great quote, life can only be understood backwards. But it has to be lived forwards. Mm. So how can we give young people the courage to take that step? How can we kind of just encourage them? Take the pressure off and say, if you have an idea of where you want to get, a general idea, not a real specific idea, not like a actual profession, um, but if you have a general idea, I'm kind of oriented towards this type of thing. I'm an artist, or I'm a you know scientist. Well, take just take any step in that direction. And it's a good step. So take the pressure off of young people and help them to have the courage to just to take a step forward and not feel like that's going to be their final step. Bill that's what we can do to help.
0: Thank you, Bill. Bill Denzel is my guest. He's co-author of You on Purpose. He's a senior fellow at Barna Group. I, I got some pretty profound counsel when I was starting an artistic endeavor. And I said to this veteran at the time, I'm I'm just starting. And he said, oh, good. He said, do it for seven years and see if you're any good at it. <laughs> exactly. And I thought, oh, no, no, no. I got to know by the end of this week, if I'm any good, I can't wait seven years. And it turns All out right. he was incredibly correct on that. I might even say 10 years. But the point is, I think I've always applied that, that thought process to anything. You just don't, you don't learn a whole lot over a night or over a weekend. You have to put that next foot
1: forward that's right and really that's the that's the fun of it right that's the the joy of life as we are taking a step forward and being present to what's aware being present to what's happening right in front of us you know just enjoying the moment and um, and knowing though that as as long as you're moving forward as long as you're moving towards the calling that you believe you hear which You know, I think there's clues all around us, right, that God is placing clues for which direction He wants us to head all around us. So as long as we're moving towards that, I don't think we can really go wrong.
0: Mm -hmm. You talk about um, the fact a lot of people assume that their vocation is whatever their job is. Where else might vocation include
1: yeah. I think that's such an important point. You know, vocation is not a synonym for, for work. Mm-hmm. It can include work and it usually does, right? Because we spend such a large percentage of our life there. But if you don't have a job, does that mean you don't have a vocation and a calling? I mean, you think about the grandmother that, that you know spends her days taking care of her grandkids um, and she's, you know, that's not a job and she's not doing it for pay. But that is certainly a calling, right? It's a, it's a vocation. It's something that you, I believe, I, the way I think of it is, it's any activity that flows from love and brings you satisfaction, even if it's hard. You know, there's this um, research that was done on zookeepers, right? And they believed that their job was a vocation and a calling, and it certainly wasn't fun all the time. You know, when they had to wake up in the middle of the night to give medicine to the animals but they found great satisfaction and really thought of their profession as a vocation. So I I, think they're a good example. I like that.
0: You've got um, a four-step research process to the journey of discovering your purpose. I'd love for you to talk us through that.
1: Yeah. If you don't mind. Um, No, I'd love to. So the four-step research process, really the way we think of this is um, that, what we're doing in this book, it's a, it's a research project into you and the deepest questions that you have about your life. Who am I? And what am I here for? And it starts with the first step, which is define, right? And in that step, we set our intention for this research project. We look at the current situation and we define what we're, what we're after by doing this research, which is really to figure out why am I here and and what's my calling? Um, and then the second step is to discover. And that's when we do the research. And um, what we're trying to discover is, there, if you can picture three circles overlapping in a Venn diagram, and the first circle is the self. We're discovering more about ourselves, who we are, our passions, our propensities, our pain. And the second circle is our context, where we are, our people, and the place that we've been placed by our creator. And the third circle is our times when we are, right? The moment in history that we find ourselves. And these things are no accident. These are the clues that God has placed all around us to point us in a certain direction. So if you imagine those circles and at the center where they overlap, that's where we find a bunch of options. And those are the options based on all the clues that God has given you um, into who you are, where you are, and when you are, that kind of are pointing you in the direction of what you should do with your life. Mm -hmm. So then that takes us to the third step, which is to to decide. And that really, again, we're trying to take the pressure off and just say, when you're sitting down to looking at your options and trying to decide which one to pursue, just ask yourself which one sounds fun to you, right? Which actually satisfy the desires of your heart? Because those have been placed in you by your creator. And which ones make your heart race? And so we choose from those options. And then again, taking the pressure off. The, th- the fourth step is do, which is just take action, try things, try. Um, it's much easier to find, you know, to, to steer a moving car than it is to steer a car that's standing still, you
2: know? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that's that idea of just start moving forward in the general direction that you think um, you're being called and try different things, low risk, you know, volunteer, maybe uh, do informational interviews. And, you know, for young people, that's the time that they have to follow their passion because they can, right? They don't have a lot of expenses. And for those of us that are um, a bit older and maybe finding ourselves in the time of a career change or whether it's by choice or not, um, then it's still, there's opportunities to try low-risk experiments, whether, like I said, volunteering, where you can just try things out and, and see, talk to, friends or, or um, others that are doing that type of work and take some time before you, you know, take the huge leap to do it, just, just do it in low-risk experiments. And that's really, as a young person, that's what I wish someone would have told me right out of college. Don't yeah. worry about the money, you know, don't worry about trying to get the highest paying job. Just take, just try what you want to do, right? Look again, look at the desires of your heart and what is it that you really want to do? And if we start doing what we dream of doing, then we can eventually become what we dream of being, right? So it starts with action.
0: I I like that. Bill Bill Denzel is my guest. He co-authored the book called You on Purpose. Discover your calling and create the life you were meant to live. I'll take a short break and we'll be right back. Lots more with Bill. Welcome back to the show. Bill Denzel is my guest. He is a senior fellow with the Barna Group and co-written a book called You on Purpose, Discover Your Calling and Create the Life You Were Meant to Live. All right, Bill, let me ask you this. This is a, Maybe this would be you giving some counsel to a person uh, trying to discover their calling. Let's say they want to host a radio show, but they often have uh, trouble spitting out sentences. What would you say to that person?
1: <laughs> I would say maybe you should step back and take a deeper look and do a little more research into, um, the things that make up you, right? No, I, because
0: I, I got a, I got a show to do the rest of the hour. I can't step back. <laughs>
1: right? Yeah. Um, well, right. But it's so, yeah, that's, it, it's a, it's a great question because we tell people when you're examining yourself passion, you need to look at three P's, your passions, your propensities, and your pain, and I think what you're talking about are really falls in the second one is your propensities. you may have the passion to be you know a radio host, but your propensities right? right what is it what are the things you do naturally your skills, your gifts, your talents, how are you wired, and what do others affirm in you right so you really need to look at those those natural gifts that you do because in order to be really great at something, it has to at least some somewhat come naturally. I mean, that said, you can certainly learn, right? I mean, you would know better than me, but you can certainly learn the skills that are needed for, um, to be a great radio host.
0: Absolutely. Let's talk about men and women who have already had a nice career, a nice, maybe a nice long career. Maybe they're experiencing some changes in life later in life. Where would they start?
1: Yeah, that's such a, uh, it's a, a really fresh topic for me, um, and uh, my story hopefully would inspire hope in, in others is that in early 2020, you know I was working at a Christian nonprofit that many of um, your listeners would know of and um, and when COVID hit and quarantine started up, uh, giving completely dried up and and they cut a third of the staff and that included me in my little uh, department that I was that I was uh, heading up and so but the reason I mention it is because God always has something in store for us. I think if we're just willing to, to, um, step back and and look at what he's actually doing in our lives that because I, um, because I was laid off, I actually had time to do the writing of this book that we're talking about now, uh, that I hadn't had time to complete and I had a deadline looming. And so that was the first blessing that came from that, uh, that uh career choice that was forced upon me. Um and then and then the second thing is God opened doors and placed me um at the current job that I'm doing now, in addition to being a senior fellow at Barn, i also I also work at LinkedIn producing uh courses um on LinkedIn learning. And so that uh through the help of my community helped me to live out my vocation. We talked earlier about whether a vocation is a job um, sometimes it is, but um, it can express itself in different jobs, right? So I, I feel like what I'm doing now, which is helping people find the skills they need in order to achieve the dreams that they have, um, all happened because I, I, you know, was willing to look to see what God was doing by interrupting my career, the career path that I thought I was on. So again, we just need to be awake to what's happening right in front of us be present to that, and see how God's using that. Usually it's with the people around you, right, to direct your path, because He has you on a path, and just because it's maybe taking a few turns that were unanticipated, um, we can trust and rest in the fact that it's a good path that is leading you to the place that He wants you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I think the key is to just, you know, when our when we're, our gaze is behind us on the past, that we miss out on life. And when our gaze is too forward in the future, we miss out on it too, because really, we just need to focus on the here and now, or we're going to miss the joy that that uh, that life really is.
0: Mm-hmm. Bill Denzel is my guest. He wrote a book with Dr. Stephanie Shackelford called You on Purpose, Discover the Calling and Create the Life You Were Meant to Live. So when we talk about the calling, Um, there's got to be some misconceptions about calling that you see or maybe you hear about regularly.
1: Yeah, and I think the biggest one, which is really interesting when you think about it, is that you can have a calling. So many people use the word calling, even people that have no idea that there's a caller. So the first one that I would say is that you can have a, the myth is that you can have a calling without a caller. I mean, even if we call it by different names, we need to acknowledge the, a caller is, is, uh, is the one that creates a calling, even just the word itself, right? It's not something that, um, that we create. And that's the second myth I would say is that uh, that the second myth is that you can create or choose your calling, right? We don't invent ourselves. We will always carry our created nature no matter how we might change ourselves on the surface. The true, true self is with us from the beginning of life, and calling is all about living from your true self. And so that, you know, it's not something that we choose. Otherwise, we might call it a choosing instead of a calling, Mm -hmm. right? We like to say. A third one is that uh, that we should begin with the end in mind, right? I know that's a great business like uh, paradigm that we that we hear, and that's okay for projects, but I don't think it's a great guide for our lives, right? We should because what we say is that we should begin. Uh, with the beginning, right, in mind. We should aim for clarity but not wait around for it. We need to start where we are right now, kind of with the beginner's mindset, and take action there. And so that's, um, that's uh, I think, you know, the idea of not be trying to begin with the end in mind and know exactly where we want to head. In our research, we found that some of the most successful people, people that um, are at the top of their fields, they had no idea of where they were going to end up when they started their career. They didn't have a clear plan. And they only, it's only by looking back at how God led them from that point to where they were in the successful spot that they saw, Oh, it was because I was obedient and I you know, kept moving forward. That's how I got to where I am now. They didn't have this master plan. I, and so. I sorry, especially,
0: I especially love that. And I think it takes me back to something I said earlier when we started, Uh, From your book, you said your calling isn't revealed in one flash of insight. It it unfolds as you take repeated steps in the right direction. This is kind of confirming that take repeated steps in the right direction.
1: Right. General Eisenhower had a great um, saying, and he said, planning is essential, but plans are useless. And I think any military commander would would affirm that because once the boots hit the ground— The plan really goes out the window, and they just have to start reacting to what's actually in front of them, right? But it was good to do the planning exercise. So that's kind of what we're talking about here in this book is think of like how you can get from A to B but realize that it's not going to be the way that you think it's going to be, but at least you can take that small step that's right in front of you, and that's, that's the key.
0: That uh, is very laid out in Scripture as well. Uh, I think in Proverbs it talks about that. You know, we we, we may make our plans, but God has the last word. Um,
1: exactly. So ask
0: the Lord yeah. to bless your plans, and you will be successful in carrying them out. That seems like uh, find a starting point, take repeated steps in the right direction, and and watch and see what God might unfold.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I think another myth that that we talk about a lot is that life is about the pursuit of happiness, right? And uh, eight out of 10 people in our research, we found that eight out of 10 believe that that is life's primary goal. Hmm. And um, really what we discovered is that uh, the key is to pursue purpose. And then happiness comes as a, as a byproduct and as a side effect. It's like, it's a great, um, bonus that we experience. When we have a purpose that we can drive towards, then we will um, experience that happiness that we're after. So it's really a meaning and purpose for its Mm -hmm. own sake. To serve and love others, happiness follows.
0: I think the brilliant C.S. Lewis said something to that effect too. When you're focused on your purpose, you will kind of see happiness in your peripheral vision.
1: Right. Yeah, I I think I love... I love that quote. Yeah. and So Kierkegaard uh, as well had another quote, life is not a problem to be solved. It's a reality to be experienced. Mm. So again, you know, as we try to analyze our way through it, it's, 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 um, (laughs) there's certain benefits to doing the the plan, you know, to laying out those plans. Um, But then I think there's, greater benefit and greater satisfaction when we just kind of surrender to what god's plan really is mm-hmm. for us yeah and realize that as long as i'm being obedient to it and and i'm pursuing those desires that he's putting in our heart and, yeah because i think we can trust that because we
0: can indeed. you know it's
1: really the holy spirit that yeah. dwells inside of us that's um the, that is the spirit that we're listening to no, well listen thank to you for heart. joining
0: me it's been great having you on
1: Thank you, Bill. Yep. I appreciate
0: it. Bill Denzel, his book, You on Purpose, Discovering Your Calling and Create the Life You Were Meant to Live. We'll take a break and be back with Beverly Canaris. It's the
2: Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive drive time. Let's get it started.
0: I love studying a psalm. We're going to look at Psalm 118 today with Beverly Canaris. She is a former BSF teaching leader and co-host of a blog called She Is Becoming. Always glad to have Bev in studio. Bev, welcome.
2: Thank you. And that's a podcast.
0: A podcast. Okay. Uh
2: Uh-huh. Did I say blog? I might have. I might have.
0: Well, a blog, podcast, perfect.
2: Yes. Yeah. 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 It's, It's fun. It's a fun process. When does
0: this podcast happen?
2: Uh, every other week, it's I do it with another 24-year-old young woman, so it's kind of an intergenerational um, ministry, and we top we typically study the Bible together.
0: Nice, yeah, nice. fun,
2: fun. But this is fun. Nice to see you, Bill.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. You've got a winter coat on. I see you haven't taken it off yet.
2: I haven't. I, <laughs> I've got gloves in my pocket too. I know. I
0: see that. <laughs> it is time to. It, it's that time of year though, where you're you don't warm up for a while. You're just cold. No.
2: No, you, Your body's yeah, shock, in it, shock. It is. Yeah. It is. So the heat's on, and we waited a long time this winter before we had to put it on. So that was good. Good for you. Yeah.
0: All right, let's jump into Psalm 118. I love Psalm 118.
2: <clears throat> I do too, and I didn't before I really studied it. And so it's been a real uh, blessing and gift to me. Um, this psalm has 23 t- different times that it's quoted in the New Testament.
0: Psalm the, 118 is? Yeah. It's it's quoted 23 times in the New Testament. Yeah, the wow. most
2: of any other Old Testament passage. I did uh, already learning stuff. Yeah, I know. But it's got so many beautiful thoughts in it that it really, and this being Thanksgiving, pre-Thanksgiving week, it's really a great psalm to spend some time meditating on. Um, it tells us so much about the kind of love that God has for us. Other highlights in this psalm um, tell us why God wants to be our helper and how he's our helper, which is such a wonderful attribute. I don't know that I would include that on my list of favorite attributes, but now after I studied this psalm, I'm picking that one up. I like that. He's my helper. And he calls himself helper in other verses, too. Now I'm starting to see it. You know how when your eyes are open, Bill, you mm-hmm. all of a sudden you start to see that that attribute about God. In fact, Jesus um, called the Holy Spirit the helper, one who comes alongside. So God truly does, for the Christian person, come alongside and, and is their helper in a very intimate way through the Holy Spirit as well. Also, this is really a prophetic psalm. The last third of this psalm talks about the coming of Christ Jesus, the Messiah, And it also offers us some great perspectives for today for our own life when we look at his uh, yet-to-come in this psalm when it was written. And it's written by David. Most people agree with that, although it is not directly said uh, at the beginning of the psalm. There's some big ideas here. So let's just start with what some of those might be. God's love, God's help, and God's salvation through Christ. And in here, Christ is pictured as the gate and the cornerstone. So we'll talk more about that when we kind of get to the end of this psalm. So I I really can kind of tie these three things together with the word secure or security. You know, one uh, psychologist, a local psychologist that you've had on your program, Bill, says that for a woman, her greatest basic need is security. Um, certainly I've felt that in my life. I've seen it shifting from uh, my insecurities and troubles to a focus on the Lord. So knowing who we are in Christ really sets us free from what is that hamster wheel of insecurity, never feeling right, never feeling we're good enough, um, all of that can be set aside when we really understand that God loves me, that God is my helper and that He is my Savior. So, when God has approved of you, you can rest in that security like none other.
0: Mm. And I think women have not necessarily cornered the market on insecurities. <laughs> we just have di- we have different ones. Men have their own insecurities, of course, and women yeah. have theirs, and I think they're different. But there is nothing like the security of Christ.
2: Yeah, there is, and your identity. There isn't, um, and often we don't have the security in Christ that we could have. Right. We just don't know that we have that kind of security. So it's really a matter of really faith and knowledge of, of coming to understand that. And I hopefully this psalm will help us in that department. Um, another really important theme throughout this psalm and why I really chose it for f- to share with people today is it has the idea of giving thanks again and again and again and again. It's so easy, isn't it, Bill, to be like these nine lepers who didn't come back to thank Jesus after he healed them? Only one came back out of the 10. Mm. And it's so easy to ask. It's so easy to want things from God. And then when he gives it, we we run away and we never talk to God about it again and just take it for granted in our hand. So Thanksgiving, right around the corner, This would be a great one to read at your table. I think Thanksgiving is a wonderful time to um, share our faith with our neighbors as well around our table. And a way that we could do that is just say, you know, this is Thanksgiving. And this psalm really represents so many beautiful things that we can thank God for. I'd like to share it with all of you and then pray after that. What a beautiful Thanksgiving table that would be indeed yeah yeah and so it could be this psalm could be used in that way but we can't miss the personal applications for our own life Let's look at verses, the first few verses here in the psalm, and I'll read it for you so our listeners can know kind of where we are. If you have a Bible, grab yours, Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. Wow. You know, when a message is repeated like that,
0: Pay attention. Exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Hello, are you listening? And it was this this uh, enduring love was for all people. Do you see that? It's, he goes through all the different groups of the people. Israel, the house of Aaron, which would be the priests, lo- those who fear him. His love endures forever. Now, the word for love here, interestingly enough, is not agape like you might think in Scripture, but this is Old Testament. And the word here describing God's love is called hesed, And you hear different words put in here, and different versions highlight different aspects of this hesed love. Faithful love, loving kindness, love that never quits, covenant love. Here it says love that endures. Which one's right? All of them. Mm -hmm. They're all right. This is that was a trick question. I know. That's why I didn't answer it. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> you were biting your nail there. I was. Wasn't uh, sure, I was like, you know? uh, don't, don't stump me. I think it's all of it. I'm going to go with all of it. It's all of it. Chesed love is just one of the most beautiful concepts of who our God is. Um, this chesed love is even, and it overcomes, our sin. In John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he so loved us, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have life everlasting. His hased love, this, this love that won't let go, that endures. You know, I think about a mom. Um, I remember back to the days where they put this helpless baby into my arms, and I looked up in the nurse's face and thought, you trust me with him? <laughs> it just seemed so overwhelming. We took him home. He cried. He spit up. He had diaper disasters. Um, I, I felt sick. I didn't know what to do. I, uh, the time that it took to care for this smallest person in the family was overwhelming. And yet, it was that maternal love that helped me to persevere and to not even hardly count the cost of what it was to care and love for him. And you know, that's what we are, Bill. We're messy. We're messy people, and we mess up. And God's love is an enduring love. Sometimes if we have been raised on conditional love, we'd really have a hard time accepting God's eternal love for us. And we think that something, whatever it is, is going to cancel his love for us. So this idea of this chesed love is really a wonderful, secure truth for the Christian's life. The love, this love gives us such security that when you are God's own through faith in Christ, He's not going to withdraw His love from you. I love that. And I need to go back to that often. I remember when I was a. A brand new Christian, Bill, I I wanted to read somewhere in the Bible where God said, I love you, (laughs) just like we say it to each other, you Mm -hmm. know? I was just such a novice. And I remember going through and finding some passages in Isaiah that just about said it perfectly, and I started to feel more secure in God's love. But that was, I, I remember looking it up in a concordance, I looked up everything that said about love, because I needed that security that I can get only from Him. I knew my husband loved me and Mm -hmm. I knew some family loved me and some friends, but I needed to know God loved me. So listeners, that's you. Take a look at Psalm 118 verses one through four. His love endures forever. Well, let's go on to the middle part of this Psalm. This is where we see that beautiful attribute that God's our helper. It really stands out here. And the psalmist David describes a time in his life that must have been a lot of suffering. And, and I think what he's doing here is looking back on his time when he was persecuted by Saul. And he he says that he was hard pressed and that he cries out to the Lord. I love this expression. His back was against the wall. You know, he was just uh, squeezed and, and couldn't move about as he wanted to. But he declares here in these middle verses that the Lord was with him. And that really took away the fear of man. So there again is another clue that Saul was chasing him uh, with murderous threats. Um, and when we have God as our helper, we don't have to fear men like we normally do. We should fear God most and if we're living out of fear to men, we're, we're not going to please God. So we have to live in fear of God, in other words, with deep respect and regard for God, rather than fear of man. Fear of man will get you into all kinds of problems. Um, it will get you off the track mm-hmm. of really following the Lord here. The psalmist also really describes it beautifully. You kind of get these word pictures. You see the brilliance of David's writing when you go through these verses as he describes his troubles. He says, the psalmist says here, enemies surround him. They are like bees. Do you get the picture? You know, you just, a beehive just fell on your head and there's bees all around you and you're swatting. You can't run away from them. And then, you know what I thought of there? I thought, this is somewhat prophetic, too, because I see this as a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Picture him in the Praetorium with all these soldiers around him when he's just about ready to be crucified. They're spitting hit on him, putting on a crown of thorn, ripping his robe off, whipping him, uh, abusing him, slapping him in the face. I read the description of what went on there, and I, just, I get the picture of the bees just all around him. He couldn't get away. He was stuck there in the middle of all those bees stinging him. And he did it all for us. Mm. He did it all for us. Well, and then the psalmist goes on and he says, he was successful over his enemies. See, he's looking back at that hard time that he went through. And he says, I was successful over my enemies in the name of the Lord. And he said that three different times, in the name of the Lord. In other words, he overcame with his helper, the Lord. And by saying in his name, the name of the Lord, he's really saying in his way and by God's power. In God's way and God's power is in the name of the Lord.
0: Beverly Canaris is my guest. We're talking about Psalm 118. I'm loving this. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we'll continue. Be right back. taught Bible study fellowship. She was a teaching leader for over 30 years. How many ladies were in the group?
2: Well, it varied year to year. Between some years, it was like 450 to 500. There were years where we introduced new studies. We Mm -hmm. would go up to seven. Wow. And then we started to have little uh, satellite groups, we called them, that would watch by video and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, the desire for God's word is certainly still there.
0: Mm-hmm. She also co-hosts a, a podcast called She Is Becoming. Always glad to have you here, Bev. And we're talking about Psalm 119. If you just jumped in your car, it's a great psalm to meditate on and prepare your heart for Thanksgiving.
2: It really is. And we're in them. We had the first section in this psalm talked about God's enduring love, this hased love that is so special and so unique to God. And then we have in these middle verses, uh, God described as the psalmist's helper. And he, he describes his, his uh, back being against the wall. He's hard pressed. He cries out to the Lord and he overcomes in the name of the Lord, his way, his power. Then in verse 13, he goes on in that description. He says, I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength, And my defense, he has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous rejoice, celebrate all that God has done. He just described the hard situation he was in and how God, the Lord, was with him and was his helper and how the Lord helped him. That's really the attribute we're we're focusing on right here. And then he gives praise back to God. I love that. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. Now, the righteous are the ones who belong to God, doesn't mean we are perfect. It means that we belong to God and are made righteous through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, the Lord's right hand has done mighty things. What does it mean, the Lord's right hand? Well, what hand is usually stronger for most of us would be the right hand. So he's really talking here about not only his strength, the Lord's strength and power is what helped him, but also it was by the Lord's authority. His right hand was his authority hand as well. So that attribute of helper is so crucial to me today. And I know to to many of you as you're listening to this, maybe you even have a something coming to mind that you really need God to be your helper. One who has this kind of power, one whose arm is never too short in whatever it might be. So take that to heart today and, and read Psalm 118 for yourself and discover the beautiful truth that I'm really focusing on that God is our helper. Well, now we're going to go into this third section of the Psalm. And this is where it goes into this prophetic uh, aspect of the Psalm. It's talking about situations that happened in the life of David, but they were reflective of what was going to happen when the true King of Kings came, when the Messiah of the Jews arrived. So first, let's just look at at verse 19. It says, open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which righteousness may enter I will give thanks, here we go again, I will give thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. So we we hear about a gate and also we hear about a call to give thanks again. This is why this psalm is so precious, especially now as we are giving thought to Thanksgiving. But every day should be a day of thanks, truly. Well, Jesus taught that there are two kinds of gates, interestingly enough, a wide gate and a narrow gate. This is during the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So he talks about a narrow gate, a narrow road, a wide gate, and a wide road. What was he really uh, trying to say here? Well, he was really giving us a contrast. That the gate is wide and that one leads to destruction. But then he talks about this narrow gate and road, and that leads, he said, to life. I love that. It leads to life. And my thought here was you know what? There is no going around Jesus. Jesus is the gate, we can't go around him. John ten nine says, "I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved." Again, the contrast, the life. John fourteen six, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me." So Jesus is really saying, this picture of the gate is the picture of uh, entrance into God's presence, into the acceptance of the Lord, and. We have that only by going in the gate, who is Jesus Christ. You know, today we have all kinds of pressure, don't we? To say, yeah, all roads lead to God. Yeah, you can believe what you want. It's okay. You're you're going to heaven. This (laughs) is the pressure that we have on us as Christians. And people like to get us in a corner and squish us and say, do you think Jesus is the only way? Like, go ahead, say it, declare it, and we're just going to call you... Uh, so narrow-minded. Yeah, they want
0: to discount you as fast as possible. Uh, Exactly. Mm -hmm. And
2: and I've seen uh, people try to do that when they're interviewing or getting to know other Christians. They'll try to back them into the wall on that point. Isn't that Mm -hmm. an interesting point? Mm -hmm. But it's happening all the time. We're getting pressured to compromise this idea that Christ is the gate, the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except by him. Uh, We can't compromise on this, people. This is the essence of our faith, and this is denying Christ if we deny that point. So I think this is just a clarion call to the church today not to compromise on the fact that Christ himself is the gate, the gate that leads to righteousness. Now, there's kind of a second prophetic um, theme in this verse as well. And that really starts in Psalm 22. I mean, Psalm 118, verse 22. This may sound familiar to some of you. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it to this very day. Let us rejoice. And be glad. Again, he's celebrating what God has done in his life. But let's talk a minute about the picture of the cornerstone. Um what is a cornerstone? How would you define it, Bill? Like the, the kind of the, the one
0: foundational piece. Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Super more than just running along the edges, but the the corner pieces really bring the two together yes. and give it the stability.
0: Without it, you got nothing.
2: You really don't. No. And it's such a beautiful picture of Christ and what he is in our lives. Jesus referred to himself as the cornerstone, That and the builders who rejected him were, of course, the majority of the Jewish uh, leadership and people. I mean, there, there were some that did believe, but basically as a whole, a nation as a whole, they rejected Christ as their Messiah, Even other epistle writers, Peter, for instance, mentions that idea of a cornerstone. Um, Have you ever seen pictures of the San Francisco earthquake? The big one? Yeah. And you see all these buildings just fall and brick Mm -hmm. upon brick and crumble. Mm -hmm. And they had foundations but they were those rigid foundations. And they learned that if they now make these modern buildings, they put in springs and things and they lift them up and so that the building can actually move with the earth's moving. Mm-hmm. Isn't that brilliant? It is. People are smart. Oh, I know. Oh, man. I don't know exactly how it works, but I do know there's, there's two different kinds of foundations. So I really picture that like my old foundation was my life before Christ. But now after Christ, I have a more movable foundation so that when life shakes me and shakes you, your new foundation in Christ will help you withstand the shaking in your life. What might have crumbled you to the ground now can move. So this is really a picture of the prophecies of Christ within Psalm 118 it's a it's a beautiful psalm, and I hope that uh, this will start your Thanksgiving time off on a very positive note to be giving thanks. It's more than Turkey Day people. It's Way a more. day of thanks,giving, more than friends giving. It's thanksgiving unto God.
0: Praise, exalt, and give thanks.
2: And And rejoice. Be joyful. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Rejoice. There's been a lack of rejoicing lately.
2: Oh, for sure. So
0: we need to, as Christians, be full of uh, joy and rejoicing as often as we can. Yeah. Beth, thanks. This has been a great um, understanding of Psalm 118.
2: Yeah, I hope your listeners will give it a... A good look over on their own. (laughs) I know they will. I know I'm going
0: to go back and study this some more. Listen to it again. I always find that to be very helpful. If you want to go over to myfaithradio.com, you can always check out the podcast of the show if you missed part of it and want to hear what we talked about on any given day. You can go right to the show page afternoons with Bill and then maybe you listen to the show at night and that's when you catch the show as you podcast it at night. That's amazing. Thank you for doing that. Really great to be with you today. I'm already excited for tomorrow. Rob Blue is going to join me, and Dr. Greg Borgon is going to talk about Joshua. That's all next on the next show. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.